Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. Happy Holidays edition. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. The Festivus for the rest of us. Whatever it is you may celebrate, we do appreciate you being here with us. We have a special episode. My name is Braden Gall. You can get to me on Twitter.com because that is still the URL at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And you can hear Michael's voice a little different this week because he is in studio and in studio with us, Emma Lingen of the Hockey Writers. Emma, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, we're going to discuss a lot of the differences of the, the administrations, David Poyle to Barry Trotz, uh, John Hines to to Andrew Burnett, and sort of what's what has been the difference with this hockey team. And that's going to be the large chunk of the show today because I just have to start with asking you guys, how is this happening? Um, but before we do that, of course... I'm going to put Emma to work here and see how you do right out of the gate. The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. Look at that. She (laughs) did it. Now, here's the question. Michael, has she been to Jaspers more times than you? She has not. She's probably the one person in Nashville who I can say that about. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for taking the heat off of me for at least a week. (laughs) Uh, But do we have breaking news in that department? We do. So Friday, I am going to Jasper's. <laughs> I will take pictures of my food and I'll take pictures of the restaurant and I'll even maybe even take a selfie to prove that I was actually there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm down with the selfie. I, I, I've reached the point in my life where I, I sort of look at people who take pictures of their food with disgust. Is that me being old? Maybe a little. <laughs> like, like, I mean, if you're at a really, really like $400 a plate meal, take pictures of the food. No disrespect to Jasper's, by the way. Their food is fantastic, but it's not $400 a plate. It's affordable. Neighborhood bar. I mean, um, I was going to give him free promotion, but if you don't want me to, I, I don't have to do that. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just now kid- he's never going to go back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, that's assuming that he's been before. Um, that's true. Which I, You've I, literally been with me I before. Know. There is no arguing that. So, so it's okay to take pictures of your food? You're not... If I'm if I'm doing it for an occasion like this, yes. If I'm just being a douchebag putting it on Instagram, then no. <laughs> I would say that's fair. All right, that's fair. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about this Predators team. They they have won more hockey games since we since we last talked, Michael, to the audience. And um, please rate, review, and subscribe. Of course, share the product. We do appreciate that. Uh, and of course, go to Jasper's. But what's interesting is they continue to do it. And we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon of the holiday week, so we're doing this before they play on Tuesday evening. So no idea what's happened in that game. But uh, I just, they won two more times over the weekend. They've now, what are they, like 13 and three or something like that in their last 16. Uh, they've won four straight. I, I'm going to be very vague intentionally, Emma, and start with you and just say, how is this happening? <laughs> well, I think that there are so many different factors you can point to for that. I mean, you can talk about new management, talk about coaching, talk about, um, you know, chemistry They've had some guys that have been out that have been injured who have now come back and are producing. Or even if they're not producing, it kind of does something for the locker room when you know everyone is there and healthy and everyone is there kind of pulling the same rope. Um, You know, you've got some more competition on the back end now. They have seven proven NHL defensemen that are competing for six spots. And that, you know, competition, I think, breeds excellence. So I think that that's something that is, you know, key to look at. And then, of course, obviously, you have Philip Forsberg, who's just not even human. And I know you guys talked about that last week on the show, but he just keeps doing what he does. And, you know, you talked about that 13-3 and run uh, in their last 16. I think it's also important to point out that, you know, everything has been focused on Forsberg, but... During that time, Roman Yossi somewhat quietly has put together 16 points in those last 16 games. Um, you know, four goals, 12 assists. And so I think, you know, they're fi- they're getting what they need from their core guys that they tr- that Barry Trotz wanted to build this team around. So Roman Yossi, UC Saros, and Philip Forsberg. Yeah, I think the, the easy answer here is that the chemistry that we were talking about that you know, we mentioned Matthias Eckholm saying it's going to take a while for him and Ryan McDonough to get to get a feel for each other in gel. We said the same principle kind of applied to a new coach, new system, all that. I think you're kind of seeing all of it gel together finally. And I mean, look, Ryan O'Reilly, Gustav Nyquist, their third and fourth leading scorers on the team, the free agent acquisitions that Barry Trotz brought in, they're paying dividends. The lineups are working. Um, UC Stars has finally turned things around. I think the big thing for me looking at it is from October 10th through November 14th, the Predators were 21st in goals scored, and they had allowed the ninth most goals. 
from November 15th to now, they've scored the eighth most goals and they've allowed the six fewest goals. So that means the offense has turned things around and figured things out. Same thing with the defense and the goaltending. I, I think it's fair to say that for any team in any sport to reach its potential, the stars have to be stars. The, the role players have to be productive. And in hockey, there's this, and especially with the Predators, oh my God, it's been 25 years of secondary scoring. Secondary scoring. And I don't know, like at what point is there now third-tier scoring? Because we joke about Cole Smith and we joke about Michael McCarron, but like they are significantly more productive this year in just a third of the season than they were last year. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, Colton Sissons is on pace to shatter his goal scoring record. I mean, I wouldn't call Colton Sissons in the traditional sense, a secondary scorer of the teams that are competing for division titles. Colton Sissons is a, I'm going to start on the penalty kill in my own zone and kill off this power play. And maybe I'll add a couple of goals along the way. At what point are we now past? Because the stars, to your point, Emma, are now the stars. Like Forsberg is doing something he's never done before. Yossi's back to being himself. And UC Saros is back to being himself. That's the starting point. But from there, why is the system now allowing this? Not just, again, it's not just secondary scoring. That's Ryan O'Reilly. That's the other. Now there's a third tier of guys that are scoring too, which is unprecedented in Predators history, really. Yeah, I think it's kind of those, uh, Barry Trotz has called those kinds of guys, the the Cole Smiths, the Michael McCarrens, as sort of the meat and potatoes guys or the, you know, the foot soldiers who kind of bring up the rear. And, you know, in order to be competitive in this league, you need to have scoring throughout the lineup. And I know everyone says that, but a lot of times throughout the lineup means like your top six. But right. we're, we're now seeing it through all the forward lines and from from the blue line as well. Uh, in in Roman Yossi because that you know is something that they've always had but I think that you know the Predators haven't really had consistent scoring throughout the lineup in recent years like they're having now and I think that a lot of that comes to to back to your original question about the the system under Andrew Burnett his whole thing, obviously, you know, it's offense, 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 but, you know, where does that start from? It starts with puck possession, and he wants guys hounding the puck and being on the puck because if you don't have the puck, then you can't create offense. And so even the guys who are maybe not those high-octane goal scorers, like the Philip Forsbergs, for example, are still starting to be more productive just because they're being so tenacious on pucks and they're maintaining possession of it. And I think that that is now starting to translate. And I think part of it, too, is, I mean, I go back to the coaching philosophy. We look at the way that this team played for the last three, four years under John Hines. It, it almost seemed kind of regimented. Like, everyone had a specific position on the ice they were like they were accountable for, and they weren't supposed to leave that certain area. I'm not saying they were tied to that all the time, but it just seemed like the, the, the players were a little bit hesitant to leave a certain part of the area. Now, with, with Andrew Burnett, it seems like they have a little bit more freedom and creativity to go shoot from wherever. I mean, Kiefer Sherwood... Where is he at? He has five goals and 11 points. I mean, he's last, sixth, sixth on the team in, in shots. Yeah, last 50 year. plus shots. Last year, he wouldn't have put up those numbers in a full 82 game season. This year, we're seeing the coaching philosophy and that Andrew Burnett. I, I think it's different, too, because now it's like it's almost like they're empowered. Like, go shoot. And you know what? If you miss, it's fine, because if we're going back on the rush, we have guys that are fast enough that are in the right position that they can they can cover you in case you're not you're out of position at the same time. And I feel like that's that's a lot of what I've noticed this year is. Shots are coming from different angles. They're coming from different parts of the ice. Different players are taking more shots than they have been. We're talking about Cole Smith, Kiefer Sherwood, Michael McCarron, players like that. And I think that the reins have been kind of pulled back a little bit, and it's giving them a little bit more creativity out there on the ice. I think, too, to that point that, you know, a lot of it really, it is a numbers game, and it's just volume. And I think that's the message. That's the encouragement. Just shoot the puck. Get to the net. You know, good things will happen. And, you know, I think that that was a lot of them. the messaging that you heard sort of earlier in the season the shot volume was up, you know, and, and they were still not winning those games. And that's during that stretch when they were five and 10. It's like 18 shots yeah. in a game. And it was, yeah. but it was, you know, it was frustrating. And so I think, yeah. you know, but you're starting to see, you know, especially during that, you know, end of October, beginning of November, you were seeing a lot of games where the Predators were out shooting their opponent, but they were losing. And yep. you're kind of looking like, what is happening here? What? That's not how this is supposed to work. And I think that was kind of the messaging from Andrew Burnett, which was they're doing the right things. You know, this is not going to happen overnight. And we want them to keep doing this and keep, you know, putting up more numbers because if you have a larger 
volume, you know, more, more often than not, one of them is going to go in and we're finally starting to see that. Yeah. I feel like with, with John Hines, he was maybe more of a, of a bit more of like a mechanical coach. Whereas Andrew Burnett, if he was, if he was playing basketball, he would be a volume shooter, just throw everything out there and eventually something's going to stick. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, both of you, but there's a lot of basketball coaches. One of them who is here in town at Belmont university who would tell you like, you know, volume shooters, the, the Antoine Walker for you old heads, like anyone can score 25 points a game if you're shooting 25 times, but is that good basketball? And like Yakov Trenin, for example, we talked a lot about him early in the year because he was on the puck in the offensive zone, shooting the puck a lot, but he had, you know, he was like 0% shot percentage, like the first, whatever it was, 18 games or whatever. Now he's shooting 14%, which is also not sustainable, but you're seeing it result in, in production. So like ultimately, I guess the question is, is there a diminishing returns? Where Where's the point of where the system is too free because you're shooting so much or is there such, is there not such a thing in hockey versus basketball where it's about efficient shots? You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think to a degree there's, you know, you want to be efficient. It maybe not, you don't want to throw every single thing on the net. You want to be smart about it, but like, not, don't be reckless, right? Don't be reckless, but also put something on the net. You can't just keep <laughs> passing around and around and expecting, you know, goals to magically get scored. But I think, you know, to, to Mike's earlier point, guys are kind of being given it was almost like a clean slate this year with a new coach who doesn't really know these guys and they're I mean he knows them sort of on a surface level but you know like getting to know who you know what kind of players are you what can you do not what have you been assigned to do in the last few years I mean you look at it like a Yakov Trenin big guy goes out there and hits people cool. He's really good at that, but can he also score goals? And I think we're seeing that he can do that too. And, you know, you don't have to be pigeonholed to that one role and just say like, this is you, this is what you do. You go out and you hit people kind of like a a Cole Smith as well. And so I think we're starting to see, like you said, get a little bit more freedom to show this coaching staff, okay, here's what I can do. And then they kind of come back and, you know, you want to put guys in roles or in positions where they're going to succeed. And I think a lot of that, I mean, it's, it requires some patience to figure that out. And I think because it is Barry Trotz as GM, it's Andrew Brunette as head coach. I think because they are who they are, they are probably getting a little more leeway, a little more patience uh, from the fan base than maybe the past uh, leaders of that team would have. But, you know, I think, um, I, I just think that we're finally starting to see things click. Now it's still relatively early in the season um doesn't feel like it but it is and so whether that's sustainable we'll find out and to your earlier question when is too much too much i i don't think there is a real there's an answer there i think the answer is you'll know it when you see it and in a year like this that's supposed to be a rebuilding year when you're supposed to be finding out what your prospects are made of when you're supposed to be finding out which veterans are going to be sticking around for a little bit I think you just you you pull the reins back and you just let them go. Why not? I, I agree. Mean, if, I agree with that. If you make yeah. the playoffs by playing this way, continue playing this way. If you miss the playoffs playing this way, you know it, it was a rebuilding year. Who cares? Like what? What do you have to lose at this point? Yeah. And a first year coach with a first year GM with a bunch of young players and prospects you're trying to develop for the future. Like who cares? <laughs> like I, that sounds a little too uh, flippant about you know 25 people's careers and like all the money and the investment of the fans. That's not the point, but. We've been very big on the show of like allow the roller coaster to happen this year. If you're a fan, embrace the fun, embrace the good. You're getting a shit ton of it right now. Embrace it because it it's in my opinion. And again, you said you said like, hey, what are they going to do? Just pass the puck around? And all I did was have flashes of every John Hines power play for like the last four years, just like passing it around the outside. And like I do think that there there is going to come a time where there's a wall whether it's a young player, there's a wall, whether it's the system, like there's going to, there's going to be another part of the roller coaster that's down from this. And the question is how do they handle that? And why are these players in this coaching staff and this administration qualified to handle that is just something nobody has an answer to until we see it. One thing too, kind of to go back to your original question that this might be a little bit off topic or not exactly what we've been discussing, but and it, it may not be completely to, to blame for this, but I think that it's certainly worth looking at 
is the number of guys on this team who are either on one-year contracts or in the last year of their contracts. And so a lot of these guys are trying to prove themselves, I think. Not only, you know, obviously new coach, you're trying to prove yourself, but you have a lot of guys whose contracts are up after this year. Are you suggesting that money motivates human beings money talks what, what can you say but i think i never understood why people are down on that like <laughs> yeah i mean how, how well, dare philip forsberg try hard during his well i mean obviously the point is that he should bust his ass on every shift yeah. i get it but like don't tell me aaron Rodgers. i think said it out loud he's like yeah of course people's contracts motivate them like what are you well, talking about and i don't think it's just the money too it's more about you know a lot of these guys who are in the final years of those contracts are sort of, you know, the guys that maybe before this year you would have considered the sort of fringe type players like Kiefer Sherwood. Yeah, Kiefer stories. Yeah, Yeah. Michael McCarron, um, you know, Cole Smith, the guys who were maybe the borderline AHLers last year and now, you know, are really trying to prove because they don't want to go back to the AHL. It's not necessarily about money. I mean, of course, it's about money to some degree, but it's not, you know, it's about, a, it's about a career. Kiefer Sherwood is not going to go out and, you know, make $8 million next year. So, <laughs> right. but I, and I think we all know that. I think he knows that, but I think it, it's more about proving like, Hey, I belong here and this, you know, I'm here to stay. Yeah. Kiefer Sherwood's 28. I mean, this might be his last chance to get a two or three year deal and not just be working off a one year bridge deal. So, I mean, if that doesn't motivate you, then I don't want you playing on my team, to be honest with you. I don't care if you're, if you're trying to go out and earn a contract and make money. The fact that he's 28 and then you look at some of these other guys like McCarron's 28, Cole Smith's 28. I know Yusuf Parsonen is only 22, but he, I feel like he's been moved up and down the lineup and he's going to be an RFA after this year. A couple a couple points the other night, by the way. Yeah. Yusuf I mean, Parsonen. I mean, he's, he's still figuring things out, but he's someone who I feel like they've been maybe a little harder on than some of the other players. Him and Tomasino, obviously are the two young players on this team that they're trying to get the most out of because they probably see the most potential out of them. And I know a lot of fans were complaining when Tomasino was in the lineup one day and then pulled the next day and he's been healthy scratch, all this. Whatever whatever they were doing is working. I mean, Andrew Burnett talked uh, after Morning Skate this morning and he was talking about how Philip Tomasino, he was struggling a little bit because maybe it was a little bit too fast for him to keep up. And by sitting him for a couple of games, it wasn't as a punishment as much as a chance for him to catch his breath and get up to speed. And he said that the goal that he scored the other night was kind of one of those goals that can like be the start of something good because it kind of it, it boosted his confidence. It, sh- it showed him like, hey, I can be successful in this system and stuff like that. So, I mean, you have you have guys like Emma said that are that are on one year contracts trying to prove that they deserve a, another contract here next year. And you have young guys like Tomasino and Parson that will both be RFAs trying to prove that, like, hey, maybe we should be getting, you know, a two or three year deal. Kind of like what Ellie Tolvanen got last year. Um I know it's a, t- a tough subject bringing him up, but <laughs> but you have a lot of guys fighting for their spots on for their spots on the roster yeah. next year. Just because Tomasino's a first round pick doesn't mean he's going to be handed a spot on this roster. So uh, Emma, Michael, and I have had a long debate about not Tomasino specifically, but about like you get paid a million dollars to play a sport. You, you shouldn't. I don't like my theory on quarterbacks in the NFL is or in or in the SEC. Let's say is that if you're a young quarterback and you're a freshman, you go out there and you you play and the team around you isn't good or you struggle or you deal with adversity that if you can't handle that mentally, then you're probably not the guy. Like it's, it's not a knock on you. It just means you probably weren't supposed to be the starting quarterback. And I feel that way about almost all professional athletes. And I understand that maybe that's unfair to different human beings with different brains who are motivated in different ways and have all these different types of personality traits and everything, but you've been inside it. So what, what is it about, like, do you see players get that breath that Michael's talking about and then understand why they need it and then have it work for them? Can you see a guy physically, like, change in that moment? Is that something – I mean, obviously we know the coaching staff sees that or the general manager sees that, but I, I'm just – I'm fascinated by that evolution of a player who might need a couple of games off to for a breather, whereas I'm the cynical old guy who's like, no, you should go out there and – play like that's how you get better is is playing and if you can't handle that and handle that adversity then you don't belong playing in the nhl or major league baseball or whatever i don't know and again maybe that's unfair i'm glad i'm not your son (laughs) (laughs) i don't have any i have daughters (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna take over the world it's not my fault (laughs) that's right women are gonna run the world Mm -hmm. one of these days um no i think that (laughs) one of these days When, when you let us. Um, <laughs> Mexico. Mexico is going to have a female president before us. So anyway. I I think uh, to, to Mike's earlier point about sitting out Tomasino and how he kind of rebounded or responded to that. 
that's not the only guy that Bruno has done that with this year. He's did it with Tomasino. He did it with Luke Evangelista. He did it with Yakov Trenin. He's done it with a few of the defensemen just because of a numbers issue. But I think that almost to a man, every time he's done that, you've seen an improvement. You know, maybe, you know, like obviously Tomasino is not going to come out his first game back and score a hat trick. But, you know, you're seeing not even just maybe i mean sometimes you see it in the numbers but sometimes you're just seeing it in the way that they play they look more confident they look more tenacious they you know you can definitely see it and don't get me wrong ask anyone uh any nhl player and they want to be playing you know that none of them are going to be like wow i really wish that i could take this game <laughs> off but you know not none Please of them healthy scratch me coach <laughs> yeah n- none of them are saying that now that if they are saying that then they probably shouldn't be in okay. the nhl all right. All right. fair enough but i think you know ask them and they're going to be honest they want to be playing um, and I think, you know, obviously these are closed door conversations. I don't know what is said, but I know what Bruno has said to the media is that, you know, obviously guys are disappointed and he, you know, you can't make them understand, but he can at least say it from their point of view. And the way that he always frames it is so-and-so, whether it's Evangelista, Tomasino, Trennan, whoever has not been playing up to our expectations for him. And I think that that goes to Mike's earlier point about, you know, the, the younger guys who have maybe what they, what the coaching staff believes to be the most potential or the highest ceiling or whatever it is, I think, you know, and, and again, it's not a punishment. It's not it. And I think went back when he benched Evangelista um, back in November, I think, that a lot of people, you know, were kind of outraged by that. But I think Bruno said it very, you know, very well that, you know, he's he's been on a little bit of a slide. He hasn't looked like himself. He's a young guy. He's only, you know, he only played 24 games in the NHL last year. He's still technically a rookie by one game. And I think you're seeing, like, it's a lot. It's a lot for a young guy. And that doesn't mean he can't handle it. It just means that he's maybe not – Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not the grizzled veteran who's been through this a million times before. I think that, you know, it might just take a little different. And so you have to give credit to Brunette and the coaching staff because he recognizes that. He recognizes when a guy is struggling and says, okay, let's nip this in the bud now and let's not keep throwing him out there and letting him keep performing, you know, below expectations. And then that just diminishes his confidence. And then, you know, you end up in a even worse spot. And so I think that you're, you know, I think when players understand that and, you know, Brunette will always call it a reset. It's like, it's not a healthy scratch. It's just a little (laughs) reset. Call it whatever you want to call it. But I think, you know, it always comes from a place of, we know that you can do better. We're not punishing you for not doing better. We're just trying to put you in a position to where you can be better. What I'm hearing is I'm a bad father. That's all I heard <laughs> in both of your answers. <laughs> That's all I heard there. Um, go to Jasper's, by the way, of course, the next evolution of the sports bar over on West End. Great happy hour specials for, of course, all Preds games, home and road, free parking. The game room is there. And, of course, this is the holiday week, so if you need to, to stuff some stockings, one of the strangest phrases in all of the holiday language. Uh, they've got incredible local companies that have all kinds of great small gifts in there. So if you're looking for a coworker, if you're looking for, in my world, uh, the two of you don't understand this, but in my world, I have a lot of like kids, friends, parents that need gifts, you know, like in the friend group. But like, I'm not, you know, everybody knows that you're not spending a lot of money on those friends. It's just like, you need a little something. They got Thistle Farms, they got Colts chocolate, they got all kinds of stuff in there that's local Nashville products couple bucks here or there, perfect way to, uh, to give some stocking stuffers or coworkers or in-laws or whatever you might have. So go check it out. Uh, also, great place to just go eat a meal um, also. Uh, and if you go on Friday, please go find out if Michael Gallagher <laughs> actually showed up or not. I will be there. I don't know what time I'm going yet. I'm oh. going to finish up some last-minute Christmas shopping, but the plan is to stop in at Jasper's for lunch or early dinner. Okay, there you go. So uh, if you're watching a game, Emma, what is your – like tail, tailgate's not the right word. Watch party. You're having. You're watching uh, a, a football game of baseball. Baseball is your background, right? You big baseball fan. Yeah. All right. So you're watching your alma mater in the College World Series, hypothetically, let's <laughs> say. Uh, and you're watching them play, and you want food. I'm a chicken wings person. What is the What is the food you eat watching your team? 
That's a good one. Yeah, obviously very hypothetical. Um, <laughs> my alma mater did go to the College World Series last year. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I want to commit. I would say anything, like, I'm kind of a sucker for any kind of fried food. So, like, any whatever appetizer. Jasper's has you covered. Yeah, any kind <laughs> of appetizer, like mozzarella sticks, chicken wings, fries, like, anything kind of in that family. The, the, Jasper's has a mozzarella stick that is almost as large as a hockey stick. It, okay. it is. It is. I mean, I'm. I'm not kidding. It's. I'm sold now. There. It's. It's huge. Um. And they've got uh, fr- like little cauliflower poppers, cauliflower. That's like that. That little tempura stuff. Mm-hmm. All kinds of dipping sauces too. Oh it's yeah. Delicious. So you're in. Okay. Yeah. Are you are you pizza guy? I do like pizza. Yeah. If I'm going finger foods, probably like I'm. A, I'm a probably controversial. I'm more of a boneless fan than a. Than that is a extremely controversial. Hey, I, I'll be on your side with that. I prefer it. Where exactly is that on the chicken? The, the 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 nugget or the tender does, Where it, is does that? it matter it's still chicken yeah because because chicken comes with bones in it that's I, how I don't the care chicken if, exists if you give me the whole the world boneless wings are just chicken nuggets i don't care they're still good yeah. i don't I, have to worry about choking on a bone i don't have to worry I'm, about picking I'm, around it's a lot of work to yeah. get around the bone and not enough meat it's i like, like to be able to stab my amateurs. fork in the chicken dip it in whatever and just eat it i don't Am- have to worry about it Am- total amateurs great chicken wings <laughs> at jasper's that have a bone in them first of all I just am concerned with the process with which the chicken became deboned. That's what I'm. I'm worried about. Like, how did this chicken it's, thigh? It's end like up, a chicken breast. You well, can literally no go to Kroger and buy a thing of chicken breast, cut it up into little nuggets, and fry it. And it's the same thing as a boneless wing. That fine. That's fine. Then just that's. To, I got no problem with that. I got no problem with that. I'm like boneless chicken thigh. It's not how the chicken thigh comes. <laughs> I'm concerned about how they got there. Chicken wing has a bone in it. Is anyone advertising boneless thighs though? If you go to the grocery store, oh. the, it's right next to the thighs, and I'm and and a lot of people will tell you like, don't buy that shit. <laughs> don't buy the skinless, boneless chicken thighs. I didn't even know that was a thing, so I don't have to worry yeah. about that. <laughs> and then when you open the package, you'll know what I'm talking about because it'll it's like this weird piece of thing that's not like you're like, where was this on the bird? I'm just telling you. Jasper says great chicken wings is ultimately my point. Uh, and, they, and their they, flatbreads are good too. And they have bones in them. Uh, I'm a chicken wing person. If I'm watching a national championship or a Stanley Cup playoff game or something like that, I am a chicken wing person. But it's got to have a bone in it because that's how God made it. End of rant. <laughs> I did not know I was going to touch a. You a said there. no. You did. You said this could be controversial. I said it could be, but I didn't expect you to get fired up about it. Sorry, I apologize. Maybe he expected me to get fired up about it. But I, I happen to be on his side, uh, though. There you go. Look, I'm for everybody doing your own thing. I just I would agree with you guys, but then we'd both be wrong. So we don't want that. <laughs> um, uh, going back to the Burnett's approach to communication, um, I am fascinated by coaches because that we use the phrase in sports culture. Like that's the phrase we use as like this broad way to explain. I, I mean, again, corporations use this, right? What's your corporate culture or whatever? And a lot of it's leadership style, a lot of it's communication style. Uh, we have an example, although his record on the field is not particularly great of late. Mike Vrabel, I think, at, for the Titans, is an extraordinary leader and communicator. Has every I've talked to so many players for the Titans, and they're, what they say about Mike Vrabel as a person and his relationship with each of his players is why they work so hard and why they he's such a good teacher at the same time. What is the difference between Andrew Burnett's communication style with his players and maybe John Hines, and and obviously, what is it that that you've noticed that's working? Like what you're talking about, you know, having a conversation with the guy who's going to sit for a game. Why is it that that's landing correctly, and why is it working in your opinion? Um, I think, I mean, I think there are a few reasons for it. I think one of the biggest, though, is that Brunette is a former player, and he wasn't. He was never like. a superstar you know he was a late round pick he was kind of the you know sort one of those meat and potato guys that I was talking about earlier and that I mean he ended up playing a thousand games and that is not something that's easy to do but I think he earned everything that he got in the league and he earned his way to a thousand games because he was one of those workhorse type guys and when I say former player it's also important to put it in perspective. I mean, he played, I think he retired from playing in 2013, 2012. So like really not no. that long ago. Yeah. And so I think he's very much still in touch. You know, a lot of times you get coaches who are maybe older or didn't play in the NHL or didn't play for a long time in the NHL who are maybe a little bit out of touch. But I think he's very much, you know, he has his finger on the pulse of 
what these guys do, how they're feeling, what they're thinking. And, you know, he can talk the game with a Philip Forsberg, but he can also talk the game with a Cole Smith and understand that those are two different players and, you know, be able to relate with them both on very different ways. And I think, you know, one thing that's interesting, he very much, you know, one thing that you see as far as differences between Brunette and Hines, after a game, no matter what, win, lose, whatever, John Hines would go into the locker room, address the players. You know, I don't know what he would say. Maybe he would just say, have a good night. I don't know. But, you know, he, <laughs> he would always go in and make a point, address the players. Now, Brunette almost never goes into the locker room right after the game. That's the player's space, and he understands that, and he wants them to have sort of a safe space. Now, he'll go in there eventually, maybe, after a big win. Um, after a loss, he probably won't. He probably just won't go in there. And, you know, it's like we're going to deal with it tomorrow at practice or whatever it is. And I think that's got to be extremely unusual, I feel, I, I feel like. I think he cares a lot about his players and and not to say that John Hines didn't I think it's just in a different kind of way he really understands the players desire or need maybe to have sort of their own safe space and where they can be honest and be themselves but then also you know I think you look at the fact that you have so many natural leaders like a Ryan O'Reilly, for example, comes in. I mean, he practically coaches the team, you know, when he's out there. And I think you have a lot of strong voices and, you know, good examples, strong examples of leadership on that team where he doesn't maybe feel like he needs to be in there all the time being super hands-on in the locker room. On the ice, different story. But in the locker room, I think he understands that he needs guys or that guys need to be able to, you know, kind of have their own insulated space, you know, even with letting media in and around the locker room, like that tends to be, you know, obviously they still do it. They have to, but it's, you know, even just like the way that they've kind of remapped things at Bridgestone arena to like kind of have holding areas for the media. So they can't just hang around and, you know, he wants the players to have the safe space there. Um, You know, whether, that's to be able to speak freely, whether it's to just decompress and, you know, not talk to anyone or whatever right. it is. I think that it all it all goes back to him being a former player, a recent former player that very much understands, at least on the mental side, what these guys need. Yeah, I think that that's a big thing that at least not the last two years of, of John's, John Hines being here, but we've seen with Andrew Burnett is win or lose, the coach has their back. And I think that's something that the players really appreciate they don't have to worry about being thrown under the bus. Not that John Hines did that with, with players. Rarely ever would he specifically call someone out or name someone by name, but he would he would kind of beat around the bush a little bit to, to, to where you got the point of you knew what he was talking about. With Andrew Burnett, he's very much a player's coach. He's very relatable. To Emma's point, he he retired not that long ago. He, he has a great rapport with his players. And when he got hired, Nick Heiser wrote a, a great story on this um, Nashville Hockey Now about he talked to Cliff Roning and Jay Moore and a couple of, of former players that played with him and saw Andrew Burnett kind of rise to the ranks coaching. And they explain that because he has such a good relationship with the players, they they tend to do more and play better and do all this stuff for him that they maybe wouldn't do for, for a coach that they didn't feel the exact same way about. And his relatability and the fact that he is a player's coach. And Barry Trotz even mentioned that when he in the, the press conference when they were announcing his hiring, they, they said that the players respect Andrew Burnett, and that was one of the big reasons why they hired him. And I think that's something, not to say players didn't respect John Hines, but I think that was something that Barry Trotz was looking for as he's as he's going out and reshaping the culture here. Is they wanted to go out and, and get players that were winners, and they wanted to get a coach that was was respected by the players that could relate to them. Because if you can relate to them better, you're going to be able to get more out of them. It's a fascinating swing because normally you see an organization have a certain type of coach, and you know whatever you want to call it, disciplinarian, hard ass. You know, I don't think I would put John Hines into that category. Certainly the guy before him uh, would qualify Peter Laviolette. But normally you see the big swing, right? Like one time you have a disciplinarian, the next time you have the player's coach. And then the player's coach was too soft and it didn't work, so they were going to go back to the disciplinarian. And you kind of have this big pendulum swings, whereas I don't feel like that's the case with John Hines. I feel like he's kind of down the middle, and that might be part of the, part of the reason that he wasn't successful is that, 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 that there's maybe there's he needed to be one way or the other. Um, do you get a sense that Andrew Burnett is very hands-on 
when it comes to teaching technique, when it comes to teaching the game, because I think you can be focused big picture, 10,000 foot view on the culture and the communication and the leadership of your organization. But then you can get down into the weeds on like, okay, here's how I want you to this breakout, or here's how I want you to, uh, when you're going in on a four check, I want you to, I want your, I want you at this angle, or do, do you get a sense that he's very hands-on? Cause it sounds like he's, he's pretty hands-off when it comes to uh, the cultural stuff, or at least lead by example, maybe is the best way to put it. But do you think he's hands-on when it comes to teaching technique to like a young player who's developing? Yeah, I think that, you know, like you said, hands-off with the culture because he wants the player, not just him, Barry Trotz as well, they want the players to build the culture. Yeah. And that, you know, obviously they have great guidance there and great leadership, so they don't need to be as hands-on. With the on-ice stuff, with the technique, I would say it depends on the player, depends on who he's working with. I think obviously at the beginning of the season and in training camp, especially new coach, new system, he has to be hands-on and has to be, this is how I want you guys to play. And you see it a lot, you know, where maybe he's a little bit more big picture on a lot of things, but you know, he's running the power play now. So he gets very specific with that. And you can see that in practices. A lot of times he will delegate to his coaching staff. Derek McKenzie is very hands-on um, and very vocal in practices. Todd Richards as well. Dan Hynote. And he needs know, more microphone time, by the way. Yes. Dan <laughs> um, does. He's a character. Dan Hynote needs his own reality show. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, I would, I would watch a show that was just a camera following him around all day. I would watch that. Um, what, what would you see? Just uh, you're in constant disbelief of like, how does one person have that much energy and just <laughs> happiness right. about life? I don't understand it. I, I don't want think it. Dan Hynot's ever had a bad day in his life. The dude I, is always I, happy. I hate those people. <laughs> I could have like, and this has happened to me multiple times where I'm having, he, he'll always greet you with instead of he'll he'll either greet you with your name or he'll say hi friend and immediately you feel better after like it doesn't matter what you're going through that day i feel like like, if i tried that it would not like and i'm not an unhappy person i'm like a generally happy person but i feel like if i walked around saying hi friend to people they would look at me very strange oh i'd probably get people asking if i was okay if i started doing that (laughs) um anyway anyway i think that um you know the the coaching staff is hands-on when it comes to the the system because they understood coming into the season it was going to be very new very different from what they were trying to do you see um you know Sebastian Bordalo skills coach works a lot more with the younger guys um on you know just kind of basic things and um whether it's rebounds or slap shots or you know face-offs whatever it is I think that you know they'll get very down into the nitty-gritty with that but um you know, I think that they're hands-on to the point where they feel that they need to be. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, and Barry Trotz has said this too, a lot of it is a player's choice for how much they want to commit to something. I mean, you look at the guys who are out there the longest, usually. Ryan O'Reilly is, yeah. you know, normally you'd think it would be, okay, the old veterans, you know, first guy off the ice, they're, they don't need to prove anything, right? And But he's always one of the last ones out there. And I think other guys will follow that example yeah. and that's how they get more work in just by the amount of time they spend practicing. Yeah. And I think something else too, that's kind of interesting is I feel like Andrew Burnett's the kind of guy that he, he brought in Derek McKenzie, someone who he was obviously familiar with. He kept Todd Richards and he kept Dan Hino. I feel like he's for the most part trusted the coaches to, to teach and do what they're supposed to. And he's kind of remained a little bit hands off in that area and he'll step in if he needs to reemphasize something or, or reiterate something or whatever. But I think he he surrounds himself with people that he trusts and he trusts them to go do their job so he doesn't have to step in and micromanage everything. And I think that may have been, not to pick on John Hines, but that may have been one of his biggest faults is sometimes if it, if things weren't going right, instead of trusting the people that he, that he picked to go out and fix it, he would kind of micromanage a little bit. And I think there's just, there's probably a sense of relief with the players knowing that they have a head coach and they also have position coaches that are not going to overstep there. It's kind of basically like Emma was saying, like they're trusted to, if they want more coaching or more help, they're, they're going to seek it out. Basically. I, I am like ultra fascinated with like leadership psychology and culture just in general, like for all these coaches you know, from a technique standpoint, like we, we have to mention Ben Vanderklok. I mean, obviously a guy that is teaching as good a technique as you can possibly get at his position. But not to go to football again, but like Nick Saban famously has an extremely high threshold of trust. Like 
you have to you have to bust your ass and work a lot to get to that threshold. But once you're there, he lets everybody do their job. He's going to stay out of your way. He's going to let you but but like you got to earn it. And so I'm I'm fascinated with how you build like leadership by example, communication on a personal level is so important at this level. And then hockey is so unique in its structure. 82 games flying all over the place. It just night in, night out, the grind. You're going to have bad months. You're going to have great months. But it's not It's not like football where it's like a burst of energy on a Sunday and then you're off for six days. It's like it's such a grind. I am fascinated by balancing the teaching of a technique to a young player, motivating that young player, keeping the old player engaged. I just think it's all utter like that. The psychology of all that is, is utterly fascinating, and that's probably why hockey coaches get fired all the time. <laughs> You talk about the grind, though. I think it's almost like trauma bonding. Like, I mean, <laughs> I know from doing a full season traveling and being on the road with a team that it's a lot and people don't understand it unless you're in it. And so I think that that helps, too, is just the the kind of we're all in this together mentality that, you know, you you go through unique challenges and, you know, that kind of bonds you. Uh, who is the DJ now? Now that uh, old boys in Colorado. <laughs> um, I have... It, I think recently it's been Sizzy, Colton Sissons has been DJ, and it's been a, a very eclectic mix, to say the least. Not quite as, well, eclectic maybe isn't the word I would have used uh, for the former DJ, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's different. Sometimes you go in, he's got soft rock going, some days it's country, what? some days it's, yeah. Yacht Rock from Colton Sissons. It's very disappointing. <laughs> um, a couple of names, so when I when I was doing like the, the live shows and stuff, like Ryan Hartman would like talk to me about reading books about like Anthony Kiedis, the lead singer for the Chili Peppers. I'm like, okay, I can get behind that. That sounds good. Uh, I'm I, I, Freddie Goudreau had amazing taste in music. He's like, hey, I'm going to the Ryman to watch so and so. I'm like, that's amazing, Freddie Goudreau. Thank you for telling me that. He was like the most relatable player I've ever talked I, to. I completely agree, and so soft spoken. Um, so Sissons is the Sissons is the DJ. Obviously, he and Ryan Johansson have lived together in the past. Johansson is always the 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 comedic relief and the DJ. Who who is the one that is that keeps it light when there's a couple, especially early in the season? There's a couple bad games. You're not playing well. Who are the personalities that are the ones that can do the things that are missing from the locker room with a lot of veteran experience that departed this team after last season? I think there's that's kind of been you know by committee I feel like there isn't just the one guy who's the like the class clown you know I think you get it from different areas Tyson Berry is one of the funniest guys uh if you ask any of his teammates um now whether he will be there after the trade deadline is you know very doubtful but after this recording yeah <laughs> um also it takes time to get into that get your personality going yeah um so. he he is very funny um Sissons is low-key one of the funniest people I've ever met, but you'll miss it if you're not yeah. paying attention because he's just I wonder so, where he got that from. <laughs> just so <laughs> deadpan all the time. And then um I think you've got different you like Michael McCarron's like a big goofball. Like the kind of the and I don't mean this in a you know offensive way. I mean it in an endearing way, kind of the stereotypical like big dumb jock, like big meathead guy. And he just he's a big teddy bear, but he's you know, he's funny, he's goofy, he keeps it light. And then you've got the younger guys, I think kind of more so kind of within each other, like the Cody Glass, um Luke Evangelista and Tommy Novak, those guys, you know, throw Cole Smith, Kiefer Sherwood in there too. I think that they kind of all, you know, they all played together. A lot of them played together, you know, in Milwaukee and now they're here now. And so within, you know, kind of their small group, they really will kind of poke a lot of fun at each other. You see them on, you know, social media, they'll be yeah. kind of poking fun at each other. And today actually in the locker room. Uh, this was all over social media, um, mostly because I put it there because I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, Luke Evangelista, when he came into his stall, he had a new nameplate and it didn't say Luke Evangelista. It said Pretty Boy Vincenzo. <laughs> and we were all just like, okay, what? 
like what <laughs> what is this and um apparently cody glass uh, was the one who ratted him out i guess found an old instagram account that he that luke had like a burner yeah Uh-oh. um and <laughs> burners are dangerous folks so we're like well what is vincenzo and he said well my middle name's vincent and it's like okay but what what's pretty boy vincenzo and he goes i don't know it's just kind of what i went with alter and, ego yeah and so but you know you got those guys kind of like you know, then Cody found that out. He went and told the equipment managers, and then they made a nameplate for him. And of course, Luke is asked, like acting all embarrassed, like oh. But then he's there posing for pictures. With of course, him. He is. you of know. Course so he is. it's. I think that there's different kinds of funny and different kinds of comic relief, and I think you kind of see it all around the room. And and this is not directed at any particular player on the Nashville Predators or even a Nashville Predator at all, but they all name search with burners. <laughs> they all do. Half the Titans are name searching. Nick Everybody Cus- name searches. Nick Cousins was the the worst with that. Like Everybody literally ten minutes after the game, he was Everybody. going and commenting and liking stuff. Like he did it to Alex Doherty one time. Everybody, everybody does it. I don't. I don't know how you don't do it if you're an athlete. Like it's especially if it's part of your. I mean, I guess if you've reached a point in your career, like I can see Ryan O'Reilly and Gus Nyquist, who's like, yeah, I got to get home to the kids. Like probably not spending too much time doing that. But like if you're young and you're kind of trying to earn your way, especially the, the young group that you're talking about, like the, these guys are all looking at it. They all know. I don't know how it, I don't know how you don't I, I don't know how you not do it, if that makes sense. With the phones and the in the apps and everything. I sound like I'm a really old man right now. <laughs> I just know plenty of Titans are doing it. <laughs> so I know the Preds are doing it too. Uh okay. it also be why the Titans are playing as badly as they are. <laughs> Maybe they need some uh, Andrew Brunette motivational speeches is what it sounds like. Um, Well, just look out for pretty boy Vincenzo. If he starts commenting on your stuff, then (laughs) you know who it is. I'm surprised no one made a Twitter account. (laughs) Didn't they do that with Tim Kelly? Someone made one pretty boy Kelly because of some weird thing that happened. Yes, he's the offensive coordinator for the Titans. Pretty boy, PBK, pretty boy Kelly. (laughs) Pretty boy Vincenzo is going to, there's somebody is going to, please somebody listening, start the account and and get it going (laughs) and let's see if we can, and just only post videos and pictures of luke evangelista in, and and his hair you know not, i think that's where the pretty boy comes from i'm so excited that they've been that bruno has been putting evangelista novak and sherwood when the three of them were aligned i started i was like this is going to be great i started calling them the hairline i was like this is great i love this <laughs> and then novi got hurt and then woody got hurt but now cody glass is in with those guys and I think I made a comment to him one time. There's some flow there. Yeah, well, I made a comment to him that he did not uh, take very kindly when I said, oh, you're in that spot now that Novak is hurt. I'm going to have to come up with a new name for the hairline. And he goes, whoa. <laughs> he said, my my flow is way better than Novi's. And so, they, <laughs> you know. Hockey players are very sensitive about their hair. It's they a are. Lettuce, like, I started calling it. I started working with Hal Gill and I was just like, I started saying the things that he says like through osmosis. And I was at like my family gathering or something on, over the holidays, like years ago. And I was just like, yeah, look at that lettuce. And my whole family was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, what everybody calls it. Right. And they're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Evangelista is the reason that I now no longer say peeper. Ironically, when I'm talking about the power play, I used to say it cause I thought it sounded funny, but now I will actually call the power play the peeper. What? He taught me that. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's where I feel old. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of close to age in these guys. And then they'll start talking, like, we'll start having a conversation about anything related to pop culture. And then I'm quickly reminded that I am a lot older than they are. Well, it sounds like uh, <laughs> there's a large gap between the leaders of the team <laughs> and the young collection that is growing. But that is a good dynamic to have in this situation, I would imagine. So, um, look, they're going to play. We're, we're not going to comment on the game on Tuesday night because this is coming out after that. But Philadelphia, Dallas, Carolina, Detroit, I, I think, again, I think the message to people is to enjoy the rides while you've got it. And right now this team is playing very, very good hockey. They have bought into the system. The leaders are, are the stars are being stars. The young players are coming along. The culture is being established. I, I don't want to end on a negative note and say just it's not going to last forever. Be prepared for the the thing that happens to every hockey team, especially after holidays in, in the, the February. Like, again, there's so many hockey players that have told me it's like you just got to get through February. Like February is the worst. And if you can get to if you can get to March and be competitive, then there's something there. But February, people just they're just like, God, it's so bad. It's so hard to do. If, so, you, if you want to end on a good note, I got something yeah, yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, go for it. The Bruins, the Rangers, the Avalanche, the Golden Knights, and the Canucks. 
They're the only five teams that have more wins than the Predators do right now. I think we have to track that every. We did that last week. We have to track that every week on the show. Five teams. Only five teams have more wins than the Predators do. It right is now. Christmas, people. That means they've played three months of hockey, and the National Predators have. There's only five teams that have more wins than your National Predators. Like I honestly never would have expected to be having this conversation at this time, but I was okay with that because I was buying into the whole process, and. Well, just Here remember we that when when that thing eventually happens. Just remember, it's still a process. That's been the message, I think. I would think that's been our message all season is in, enjoy the good stuff, understand that the bad stuff is going to happen as a part of the process, and that it's all building towards something in the future. And if, oh, by the way, you get a run at the playoffs in the meantime, just don't trade for pieces. Don't be a buyer at the deadline. That's all I'm asking. Don't be a buyer. Are you listening, Gover? Yeah. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> that's all for you jeremy k i kid uh, i love go by, by the way check out it's all your fault of course from the national scene in the national post uh kara hammer was the guest on there uh emma i know you've been on there with with gover as well gover does a great job very few people in this city that are more passionate about the national predators than he is make sure you're checking out that show as well over there uh from the post and the scene of course um emma where can people find you give us like all the the places that people can find you uh, they can find me at thehockeywriters.com uh, under just my name or anything about the Predators. And they can find me on twitter.com and Instagram at Emma underscore Lingen. Do you, you don't call it, walk around calling it X, right? Like I, no. I QX something? No. I work Ew, with a few no. people that do that. Yeah, exactly. No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to record that again and send it to somebody who walks around <laughs> saying like, I saw a QX and I X this and I'm like, oh, no. fucking Twitter. It's no. just Twitter. No. Mike, where can people find you? Uh, Happy yeah. holidays, everybody. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Uh, you can read my stuff at NashvilleHockeyNow.com, and you can also follow our Twitter account at NSHHockeyNow. Just don't type in the X's in the in the web browser around kids, okay? It's <laughs> Twitter.com. Twitter.com is still the URL, and as long as it's Twitter.com in the browser, that's how I'm, that's what I'm going to call it. Emma, thank you so much for, for coming in, of course. We do appreciate it. Uh, everybody out there, have a great holiday. Uh, for Michael Gallagher, I am Braden Gall. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Go drink some beer. Go buy some stocking stuffers and have a great holiday. We will talk to you guys next week.